Hello, and welcome to the Heart of Equity podcast from the Heartland chapter of the National Association of Health Services Executives, also known as NASI. I'm your host, Pleasant Bradford Jr. I am a health equity professional, a healthcare leader, and a member of the NASI Heartland chapter. In this episode, we're talking to Alexis Yaboa, program manager at Best Buy Health and leader of their health equity strategy. We're discussing the concept of the strong Black woman archetype, including the stigma of mental health therapy and the pathways towards achieving optimal mental health. Before we get started, we'd like to thank Care Content, our partner for producing this podcast. Care Content is a full-service digital marketing agency that helps healthcare organizations create a web presence that reaches their audiences. If your health system needs help with digital marketing, website redesigns, or social media, please visit carecontent.com. Now, let's get into our discussion with Alexis Yaboa. Welcome, Alexis, to the Heart of Equity podcast. How are you? I am doing good, pleasant, you know, just trying to stay warm. (laughs) I'm doing the same. Well, thank you so much for joining this conversation. I am so excited to learn more about you and, and about this archetype of this strong Black woman. I always love to start with a personal journey question, and you have quite a colorful journey working at the Minnesota Women's Press and doing some work with the Minnesota Together, which is a local community organization aimed at solving social change, and more recently with Best Buy Health. Tell us more about yourself and and why you got into healthcare and what's the role that you play in this space. I always knew I wanted to help people, but I never knew exactly in what space, in what area. For me, in undergrad, you know, I went direct patient care. I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. Then I thought I was going to be a nurse. And then I was like, okay, organic chemistry, not for me. (laughs) And so then kind of took a step back and decided that I was really interested in public health because I wanted to understand more about systemic, societal, institutional problems related to healthcare. I think even for me from a young age, I got to see a lot of the discrepancies and the disparities, whether whether it's in my family or in my community, people that look like me, we didn't get the care that we needed. So I wanted to understand why. Another thing is I wanted to really understand how we can communicate around health better. And so that's one of the reasons I started to write and write for the Minnesota Women's Press specifically around health care and public health issues that pertain mostly to Black women. Because I think a lot of the things that we see in outreach, we see in healthcare doesn't necessarily reach the people that might look like you and me. So often there's a gap between the people who maybe need the care and the people who are offering it. So how do we make sure that the individuals, the families, the communities really understand what's happening? So often you can go to the hospital or to a doctor and they just talk over to you. Yeah. So I felt like that there's a piece around like communication and healthcare and equity that I really want to explore. I'm really multifaceted within the space, but I love to just think about different ways to reach people that look like me where we are in a way that we can understand. Absolutely. And 
again, your experience just continues to amaze me because you have amazing experience with Bright Health and Livio Health and Impact Hub and even your own personal healthcare challenges with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Tell me more about how all of this at a personal and professional level has helped shape your perspective on mental health. Yeah, that's a huge question. I was a a sophomore in college when I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so that was also the time when I had to make that choice about what I wanted my major to be. So that's when I kind of pivoted away from direct patient care, from thinking about being a pharmacist or a nurse and thought about, again, at that systemic higher level. I received really great care and it made me think about like, why? Why was I, a person that received great care where so many others hadn't. One of the things, too, that was really important to me is that opened my eyes to mental health was that Hodgkin's lymphoma battle. That was right when I started to engage with therapy, right when I got that diagnosis. And I am so thankful for that because it has really shaped me from being a, a young 20-something to somebody who's much older and much wiser now, having that foundation with mental health and mental health care. And I, through that journey, have talked to a lot of my friends, especially a lot of my Black women friends, and, and we struggle with anxiety and depression, but it's not something that's talked about maybe within my generation as a millennial, but it's not something I don't talk about often with my mom or my aunties. It's something that was stigmatized. So I want to continue to advocate and continue to talk about mental health struggles because there's a lot of power in it. One of the things that also shaped me is I worked for a health insurance company as my first job after undergrad, where I worked as a provider advocate for patients who were trying to access their mental health benefits through insurance. And I saw that there was such a disconnect between the providers and and the patients and the patients being able to navigate the system and getting access to the care. And I'm just like, this is all just a huge circus. What can I do? There's only so much one individual can do, but I just think one of the biggest thing is continuing just to to talk about it and to raise awareness around mental health and how impactful it is for overall well-being. Yes, yes, and yes. And we are (laughs) going to talk about that the strong Black woman archetype. This archetype has existed for generations, from the baby boomers to millennials, and even today, it still exists. In your opinion, has this archetype changed over the generations, and how can it be a barrier for mental health of Black women? That's a question I think about a lot, because that archetype didn't come from nowhere. And I think the archetype has stuck around, not only because of, you know, stereotypes or whatever it might be, but also has served a purpose for a lot of Black women. I think about my mother and my grandmother and my aunts and that strong Black woman archetype was just given to them. There was no question about it. They didn't have a choice in it. And I think about my generation and I think about even the generation after me, I think they're Gen Z and how they are just so in touch with their mental health. And, you know, millennials, we're kind of in the middle. We we know that mental health is important. We're trying to access it, um, but it's not necessarily built into just the way that we were raised. And I think that that's a generational shift. So I think 
continuing to see mental health being at the forefront of what Black women are talking about. I go to a lot of networking events that are focused on Black women being in community. And mental health is usually always on the agenda. And I think that that's beautiful because it shows that it's becoming um, normalized to talk about mental health, to talk about therapy, to talk about if you need any additional support for your mental health through medication or through whatever that might be. That's not something that is as stigmatized as it, as it once was, but it's it still is very dependent on what group maybe you operate within. So I do think that it's changing, especially as I see the younger generation coming up. But I think it's something that we continue to have to talk about. And I think we also have to continue to explore different ways of therapy. Maybe one-on-one therapy with a therapist isn't what they need. Maybe it's community therapy. Maybe it's group therapy. Maybe it's nature therapy. There's a lot of different ways to engage your mental health that aren't in the traditional realm. So we need to start to bring that to the forefront, really culturally competent care for mental health. And it's encouraging to see that it is becoming more mainstream for us to talk about mental health and especially for Black women to talk about it and to normalize that. As I was thinking about the strong Black woman archetype, I also agree with you that I think about my mother and my grandmother and how it was given to them. And in many ways, it's celebrated. It's almost like a badge of honor. And so the question I have for you is, Can this archetype, this strong Black woman archetype, ever be beneficial? And if so, how? I think so. I think, you know, in the system that we find ourselves living in, it is a way of protection for a lot of people, for Black women especially, being strong, not letting anything bother us, continuing to push through, especially in generations past, but even now, having to always, you know, keep moving forward. When you live in a society that doesn't allow you to stop and rest and take care of yourself in the way that you need to is, you know, a coping mechanism and a way to survive. Now there's so much more information about the detriments around, you know, that strong Black woman archetype, whether it is impacts to our physical health that are directly tied to our mental well-being. There are individuals who just aren't able to, to cope and feel like they can't ask for help because of having that archetype put on them. So I think that It had served a purpose, and there's two things that are true at once, right? It serves a purpose depending on the situation, but it's also harmful. And so how do we hold both of those truths while pushing forward to make sure that we're starting to dismantle that in a way that feels good, in a way that feels safe for Black women, whether it's talking about your individual diagnosis with a good friend or a therapist, whether it is talking about your struggles on it on a day-to-day basis with your journal, whatever it might be. You know, there's so many ways of um, interacting with mental health that are individualized, but understanding that that archetype served a purpose that was a survival purpose and that we can maybe choose something different for ourselves with community with one another is also a good understanding to have. I love how you mentioned we can hold both truths at the same time. That's so Mm -hmm. important. And what we're starting to see is that some words 
that had a negative connotation in its origins are being reclaimed in other ways. And Mm -hmm. it might even be happening perhaps with this particular archetype where strong Black women are saying, yes, we acknowledge the negative history, but we're going to reclaim this word and we're going to use it in a different way and own that. Mm -hmm. As we continue to dismantle this archetype, we have to acknowledge that racial discrimination is one of the primary reasons why this was developed. Are there any other aspects of society that have been a part of building this particular archetype? Oh, yeah. The first one that stands out to me is patriarchy and how impervious that is to just the way that society is run and and the archetypes or stereotypes that are put on women, especially Black women. And, you know, that ties into misogynoir and in that intersection between sexism and racism. I also think that the idea of always having to continue going, to continue pushing forward through grief, through mourning, through pain, you always have to continue to push forward. And that's That is another reason that I think ties into where that strong Black woman archetype um, comes from. A lot of Black women, we are the backbones of our families, of our communities. And if we break down, things don't happen. And so having that weight can be crippling because you know that or you feel like you can't stop. If you need support with your mental health, you feel like you can't have it. You can't seek it out because the show must go on. And so I think there's so many different intersections that tie into this strong Black woman archetype that relate to racism, sexism, capitalism, all of the the isms that we talk about regularly. But also, um, I think there's just the pressure that a lot of a lot of Black women have to perform to, you know, to have it together, um, whether it's in your chosen field for a, a professional realm or if it is in school or if it is just, you know, walking down the street, always feeling like you have to have it together. I One of the things my, my mother always told me is like, you, whenever you leave the house, you need to make sure you have your have yourself together and not just physically, but mentally, because out there people don't really care. And I I think a lot of black women have grown up with that, that message in the back of our heads that no matter what, we got to get it together. And if you got to fake it till you make it, you better. And that can be detrimental. And that's years and years of compounded like trauma or not addressing what our issues or our fears are. And a lot of times it has dire consequences in a lot of different realms. One of the most critical ways you can help promote health equity is to make sure your health system is doing business with Black-owned companies. This creates career opportunities, builds generational wealth, and allows us to control our own resources. For our Buy Black Vendor Spotlight, we'd like to highlight Breaking Bread. Breaking Bread is a restaurant in Minneapolis that is a part of Appetite for Change, a nonprofit that generates health, wealth, and social change. For more information, please go to breakingbreadfoods.com. Now, let's get back to our discussion. 
Well, let's talk about therapy. Black women have been found to seek therapy less than other groups of women, even when they have a diagnosis. And it's not not primarily because of stigma, but because of really discouraging past experiences. How can this be corrected? And are there any tools that we can turn to for Black women who are seeking therapy but find it difficult to stay because of trauma or past experiences? You know, that's a great question because I felt like I've had to cycle through therapists to find the right one or you find the right one and then they don't take your insurance anymore or they move out of state or, you know, everybody wants to see them so you can't get on their books. So often we tell people to seek therapy, but don't really tell people what that means, right? A lot of times if you've never engaged with therapy, it feels like you're just like telling everybody your business or you're just telling the stranger the things that happen in your family or in your home that need to be kept private. And I think there's a piece that we can do better as people in the healthcare field who are Black leaders is equipping women, Black people in general, to have a better understanding of how therapy can serve them tangibly. If you're not used to telling people about your problems, it feels so foreign, right? If you're not used to confiding in somebody that you don't know, it feels like you're not supposed to be doing that. So how can we in the industry equip Black people to understand what therapy means, how to best engage with it, what questions to ask your therapist when you're interviewing them to see if they're the right fit. Also, I think there's an industry thing too, where we need to start to engage with different types of therapy. Like I mentioned, culturally competent care for a lot of Black people, whether it's Black Americans or um, those of us in the African diaspora, wherever we may be, maybe just sitting one-to-one with a stranger isn't the best culturally competent way for us to seek mental health care. So what avenue best serves a larger community? So thinking about that and and also pushing our, our payers to make sure that these culturally competent options are covered at parity with other type of mental health care or physical care that is covered, right? It's so often these things are are thought of not evidence-based or, you know, experimental. So insurance maybe doesn't want to cover them, but we need to push back on that because we as Black people, as Black women deserve to have mental health care that feels right for us. And I know that um, right now with the pandemic and a lot of healthcare and care in general, moving back into the home through telehealth or through virtual visits. That feels great too for some people, but also for some, it doesn't. So what are other um, avenues that we can try to engage with? Is it the churches? Is it the women's groups? Where do people want the center of their their mental health journey to to be at? And asking these these open-ended questions and not going into it with preconceived answers. So I think so often we focus on what the individuals can do better um, to be able to access mental health care that feels right for them, but also what can the system, what can the industry do better? And there's a, a lot that we in the healthcare space can be doing to push for change in this area. Absolutely. And I love how you at the very end said it's not just the individual, but it's the system mm-hmm. in which that individual lives 
And it's true when you think about Black women in particular for today, they don't live on an island by Mm -hmm. themselves. They live with families and friends and they work with colleagues and they have bosses and they play a role in how a Black woman does or does not take care of her mental Mm -hmm. health. And so how can this system that you mentioned, how can this system of people help dismantle this strong Black woman archetype? I think one of the things that the system can do, whether it's the the families, the individuals, the employers, what it may be, is not thinking we don't we don't break and thinking that we can just shoulder all of this by ourselves. We might not complain, <laughs> but we complain somewhere with whether it's with ourselves, whether it's with the, the some of the health outcomes we might have, whether it's in our family systems, there's impact somewhere. And maybe you don't see it, but it's there. Another thing that, you know, these individuals or systems or groups can do to support Black women is shouldering some of that burden is really important, but also what work are you doing for yourself to make sure that you're not perpetuating that archetype and putting it on a Black woman? I think that there's a lot of introspection that needs to happen that is outside of Black women, us doing it for ourselves. I think the individuals that and family systems that surround us or employers or communities, whatever it might be, there's a lot of harm that people perpetuate, maybe unknowingly, a lot of times unknowingly. Um, but you know, asking yourself those questions, asking if you're a a benefit administrator, like administrator at an employer, like looking to see what is the the rate of individuals from different groups that are accessing your EAP services or accessing the mental health services that you might offer, doing employee surveys, or if it is your, your family. I think a lot of times, like, we, we live in these systems and we all play our roles. Sometimes we have to step out of those roles and make sure that we're not just harming or we aren't just allowing those guardrails that we're already in, those grooves just to move us forward. We got we to gotta kind of push ourselves out of that system and do something different. I don't think a lot of people who are maybe not Black women are educated on, on the mental health struggles of Black women. So continuing to educate yourself around issues that maybe don't impact you personally, but you might be contributing to. So I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen, not just for Black women, but for everybody pertaining to Black women's mental health and understanding that this is a a huge stigma. It's causing a lot of health impacts for Black women. There's a lot of disparities for Black women, especially Black women in Minnesota. So what can individual systems and communities do differently? Yeah, it's all of our work. Mm -hmm. It's not just Black women's work. It's all of our work because we've all contributed to this and it's going to take all of us to dismantle that. You've alluded to ways that Black healthcare leaders or organizations can support the mental health of Black women. What can more Black healthcare executives do to be a part of the solution in supporting the mental health of Black women in their organizations? One of the biggest things that we can do in healthcare to support the, you know, the mental health of Black women, whether it's in an organization or if you're a healthcare executive or if you're a payer executive, is not treating mental health as separate from physical health. 
I think that is a huge thing that has been sectioned out is, you know, we section out the body so often in the U.S. healthcare system, whether it's different coverage for your eye health or different coverage for, you know, mental health or dental, like all of the, the body is one full system that operates that is always trying to retain balance and it impacts one impact on one area of the body impacts all of it. So understanding that mental health is not separate from any other type of health. So ensuring that you cover mental health benefits at the same rate that you cover physical health benefits. I think that's a huge one. I think that also there's a growing trend of something that I'm seeing of um, not even allowing, but having a separate bucket of Um, PTO that people can use for wellness in whatever way that might be, whether that's mental wellness or that physical wellness. Um, Just so often people don't want to use their PTO just to, you know, they want to do fun things, but allowing a separate bucket that we can use that is just for our health and whether it's mental health days or company-wide or something that you allow your employees to access is really important. And I think that another thing is understanding that mental health for Black women has such an impact on the the disparities that we see in Black women's physical health, whether it is a heart disease or diabetes. They all are exacerbated by mental health. And so understanding that all of these are working in a system, nothing is a standalone thing. And mental health struggles for Black women impact not only them, but it impacts, you know, their families, their communities. So this leads into these larger disparities that we're seeing. I know that there's a a larger discussion right now that's happening around mental health for the youth, especially around after the pandemic. And I guess we're still in the pandemic, but brought to light during it. But also, I think, there needs to be brought to the forefront this discussion around mental health for Black women and how that strong woman archetype that so many people don't even know exists, they're just living it or just thinking it's true is a big impact to it. Absolutely. Alexis, thank you so much for joining the Heart of Equity podcast and sharing your insight on dismantling the strong Black woman archetype. Thank you again. Thank you, Pleasant. If you're a healthcare executive in Minnesota, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Iowa, Kansas, or Missouri who cares about health equity for people of color, please consider joining the National Association of Health Services Executives Heartland Chapter at nasiheartland.org. That is N-A-H-S-E heartland.org. For more episodes of the Heart of Equity podcast, subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. And while you're there, please leave us a comment. Thank you for listening.